Today on Abounding Grace from Pastor Ed Taylor. The last thing you want in your life is to be surrounded by people who agree with you in your compromise, who encourage you in your sin, and who corrupt your simple relationship in Jesus Christ. The last thing you need are so-called friends that will encourage you to sin, that will encourage you to gossip, that will bring to you a juicy tidbit, or even recently just being reminded that the Bible teaches us that a fool vents all his emotions. And which one of us have been not been guilty of that? This is amazing grace. It's great to be back with you and welcome to Abounding Grace. We'll hand things over to Pastor Ed Taylor in a moment, who today opens 2 Kings 14. We've been learning in this present series about the long-term effects of both sinful and good decisions through the various kings and kingdoms. Today, we'll observe what a lack of good leadership leads to. Here's Pastor Ed. Would you take your Bibles, open them to 2 Kings chapter 14. 2 Kings chapter 14, as we study the divided kingdom. Remember, the kingdom is divided between Israel and Judah. And in our last study, we learned that they lost a true man of God in Elisha's death. God used him in so many ways to speak truth in the land, in the middle of their compromise and disobedience. And it's good to have men and women in your life. As much as you wouldn't want them at times, it's good to have men and women in your life that will speak the truth in love when we're going through the good times and the bad times, when we are making good decisions and we're making bad decisions. Some of you specifically have what is known as the spiritual gift of prophecy. And remember we learned when we were studying the gift of prophecy that the New Testament use of this gift is not the foretelling of God, but rather the forthtelling of God, where you speak forth God's word. God's word has always been, already been established. You speak forth God's word into someone's life. It's how God uses you within the body. You're known as someone who is able to speak the truth, especially when others aren't willing to do that. And without you... Let me just say, if you have to get the prophecy, you don't always like it. Similar to the gift of exhortation. You don't always like that gift, but let me tell you something. If it wasn't for you, you, we would miss out on a lot that God has for us. We would miss out on a lot. We, we would be going along in our own compromising ways. Had you not come and just speak and be faithful to the prompting of the Holy Spirit in your life and speak the truth to us. So don't be overly discouraged because you have this gift. Or don't be overly discouraged because people don't like to listen to you or they don't receive it. Recall that Jesus lived a perfect life and he had a perfect ministry in every sense of that word, God in human flesh. 
empowered by the very Spirit of God to accomplish perfectly the will of the Father. And his reward was to be rejected, to be resisted, to be crucified after being tortured. And the last thing, the last thing you want in your life is to be surrounded by people who agree with you in your compromise, who encourage you in your sin, and who corrupt your simple relationship in Jesus Christ. The last thing you need are so-called friends that will encourage you to sin, that will encourage you to gossip, that will bring to you a juicy tidbit, or even recently just being reminded that the Bible teaches us that a fool vents all his emotions. And which one of us have been not been guilty of that? We, have, uh, we live in a society that like props up, I was just venting, I was just venting. So just change the word and just say, I was just sinning, I was just sinning, I was just sinning when I just burst out all my complaints to you and when I just told you all the bad things I feel about my mom or about her or him or whoever it might be. The fool does that. It's a foolish thing for us to sin against God and to sin against others. And so when they lost Elisha, they lost a good man. And may the Lord help us when we lose good men and good women in our lives, whether by death, which is sad and tragic, or simply because we pushed them out of our lives, or we didn't want them in our lives anymore, or we didn't fan the flames of friendship or relationship. And man, may the Lord help us, because we need those men and women in our life to speak the truth to us in good and in bad. So notice now in verse 1, of chapter 14, in the second year of Joash, the son of Jehoahaz, the king of Israel, Amaziah, the son of Joash, king of Judah, became king. He was 25 years old when he became king, and he reigned 29 years in Jerusalem. His mother's name was Jehoadan of Jerusalem. And he did what was right in the sight of the Lord, yet not like his father David. He did everything as his father Joash had done. However, the high places were not taken away, and the people still sacrificed and burned incense on the high places. Now it happened, as soon as the kingdom was established in his hand, that he executed his servants who had murdered his father, the king. But the children of the murderers he did not execute, according to what was written in the book of the law of Moses, in which the Lord commanded, saying, The fathers shall not be put to death for the children, nor shall the children be put to death for the fathers, but a person shall be put to death for his own sin. So Amaziah now is the ninth king of Judah, the son of Joash. He was the king that became king at seven years old. He reigned well, but later in life didn't destroy the idols, killed God's prophet, and ended up being assassinated. And Amaziah, his son, too, started out well, but we'll see if you just look at verse 17. Amaziah, the, key, the son of Joash, the king of Judah, he lived 15 years after the death of Jehoahash, the son of Jehoahaz, king of Israel. And the rest of the Acts of Amaziah are not written in the book of the Chronicles, the kings of Judah. When we get to Chronicles, we'll learn in chapter 20, 2 Chronicles 25 that he also was assassinated. And here's the issue. He did right within the sight of the Lord, yet not. And it's just those things in, in the Bible that, that as I'm reading them, I'm like, I don't want that to describe my life. 
And certainly it does, and it has in many ways, but it does. I don't have to end my life like that, where, you know, you kind of think in your own life, as they were writing the story of your life right now, you go, oh, you know, so-and-so did right, Ed did right in the sight of the Lord, yet not. And I, I just don't want to be known by the yet not. I, I want to be known as a man that did right in the sight of the Lord. And when he failed, he repented and recovered. And, and he didn't make willing knowledgeable decisions to sin against God, which is what happens here. He, he did right, but it wasn't like David. And, and what, the reason it wasn't like David is because he still let people sacrifice where they wanted to. That's what it says here in verse 4. The people still sacrificed and burned incense on the high places. So it was like a mixture of idolatry, but it was also just worshiping the one true God in all sorts of different places. He allowed that to take place. Because remember, according to the law, according to God's precepts, according to his instruction, it was commanded that the people of God should bring their sacrifices to the place that God prescribed. God said where to worship. They couldn't just offer, according to the law, they couldn't just offer sacrifices anywhere they wanted to. They couldn't just make it up as they wanted to. And it was neither easy or convenient to go all the way to Jerusalem, which was appoint, the appointed place of sacrifice. It was neither easy or convenient to worship there. And so they would set up various altars and high places. Sort of kind of because Jerusalem, you know, anyone, when you go, go to Israel, whenever you go to, to Jerusalem, from any part in Israel, you're always going up. It's the city set on a hill. And so on these high places, it was kind of like a mini fake Jerusalem. And yes, idolatry took place on the high places as well. But ultimately, it wasn't the place prescribed by God. They were worshiping God, but in their own way. Now, you would think that, that we would outgrow that by now in the 21st century. But I'm telling you, the same thing happens today. Where you have a world that is worshiping God, but... You want to worship God your own way. You, you want it your own prescription. You want it to be in your own place, in your own timing. If there's ever a time, you know, if there's ever an issue with what we might call Western Christianity, what we might call, you know, Christianity in the U.S., but it's not just a U.S. thing, but we live in the U.S., so, but it is all the way around. It's this whole consumerism when it comes to worshiping God. And it certainly happens here, and this is what it sounds like. There'll be folks looking for a church, shopping for a church. So if you use that phrase, we're shopping for a church. And when you're shopping for a church, you usually enter into a building or to a gathering and say this, what do you have for me? And whether you have it or not, you have a list in your mind of what you want from a church. You want this from a church. You want that from a church. You go on list and list things. I, I remember years ago moving here, being super green in the ministry, not having any experience whatsoever, overseeing a church, pastoring a church. And, and God had entrusted to me a, a very small group of people that he was teaching me faithfulness. We, we started Sunday morning services and a brother came up after service, shake my hand. He says, you did pretty good today, pastor. And I'm only recalling, I'm not quoting him exactly, but I am recalling the conversation in my mind like it was yesterday. Pretty good, Pastor. And you almost passed the test. Now, passed the test? What are you talking about? I didn't know I was taking a test. 
I thought you were here. God was examining you, but you are, God's examining you. You're examining me. And he pulls out a list, and he has a list with check marks next to some of the things. And he says, you almost got them all. And I'm like, what? And, you know, I, I didn't even have an inside voice back then. I didn't even know what to say to something like this. But I got an, invoice, I got an inside voice now. And I'm like, are you serious? Now, let me do say that there are some things to find in church. We've, we've actually done studies on what a healthy church looks like, what an unhealthy church looks like. So I'm not opposed to, I, I get that. You obviously don't want to just walk in the building that's in your neighborhood and they're a cult or obviously you want to find the right place. But, but you, you also don't want to be a consumer. The Bible doesn't say to go into all the world and make consumers. The Bible says that we're to make disciples, followers of Jesus. And it's not what I can, it's not what the church can do for me, according to the Bible. It's what, what am I to do in the church? I am the church. So in a very real way, if you ask the question, what can the church do to me, do for me, then ask yourself, you're the church. What exactly can, do, can you do for yourself? You and I are the church. And so here, this kind of disobedience was happening in the Old Testament, in the Old Covenant. There were people that wanted to worship God the way they wanted to worship God. They wanted convenience and ease. And, and to back off just a little bit, this is a sign of leadership weakness, a lack of leadership. It's not just spiritual disobedience, but it's a lack of leadership that the kings would allow these traditions to remain, allowing things that are wrong and not dealing with them. This habit of establishing places, places of worship, high places, they actually began back in the time of Judges. And you'll recall, those of you that have read and studied Judges, that it was a time where there was no king in Israel. And so what? People did that which was right in their own eyes. When there's no leadership, it's easy to do what's right in your own eyes. And how careful we need to be. Samaria in the north, Jerusalem in the south, these compromises were one of the many signs of the deep spiritual weakness in a king. We can't forget as we're studying through that the king represented the leadership of God. You had the kings and you had the priests. And remember, if the king wasn't right and the priest wasn't right, God would raise up a man known as a prophet who would speak truth to the way, wayward king and the wayward priest and the people that would follow them and choose their own way. And here he is, Amaziah, does good yet. You might want to just mark those words, maybe pray over it, yet not like, yet not like. You know, David is only a type and a picture of the perfect one to come, Jesus Christ. And you could, you know, write it for yourself. Um, and Ed did what was right in the sight of the Lord, yet not like his Savior, Jesus would be a way to look at it today. It's like, oh Lord, empower me to make the right decisions and to be obedient. I want to draw something out for you before we move on to the next section in verses 5 and 6 because you read, by, read, through, read through it very quickly, you might miss it. So notice it happened, verse 5, as soon as the kingdom was established in his hand that he executed his servants who had murdered his father, the king. But... The children of the murderers he did not execute according to what was written in the book of the law of Moses in which the Lord commanded saying, and I quote, 
The fathers shall not be put to death for the children, nor shall the children be put to death for the fathers, but a person shall be put to death for his own sin. You can jot it down there in the notes or in your margin. Deuteronomy chapter 24, verse 16. Deuteronomy chapter 24, verse 16. He repays those that killed his dad, but he spares their family. He spares their family. He was obedient, and he was obedient to a specific scripture in his life. It's Deuteronomy 24, 16. It's quoted for us here. For you Bible students, you may have heard or read or maybe watched a video on YouTube of so-called scholars attacking the book of Deuteronomy as being much written much later in the life of the nation. And one of the attacks on Deuteronomy is that Moses did not write it. However, it's quoted here and obeyed in 2 Kings, validating its truthfulness. And so as you surf the web and you have friends at work talking to you about stuff, don't be easily stumbled by their, their well-worn-out attacks on the Bible. Because they come, don't they? You're talking to somebody about the things of God and they go, oh, you don't believe in that. You don't believe in that. You don't believe in that. And you're like, yeah, yeah, I actually do believe in that. Oh, you're just believing in fairy tales and myths. And of course, Peter already taught us that, that there would be those that come and criticize the teaching of God as fables and fairy tales. And, and so I want to, just for the sake of review, I want, to, I want you to consider that when you're talking to people about, as their attacks on the Bible and their attacks on your faith and how they want to belittle you, make fun of you, attack you. Uh, there's actually a logical phrase for personal attacks. It's called ad hominem. And basically what that means is when you're having a debate with someone and a disagreement and they are unable to make their point, they will attack you personally. And so what they say, well, you know, the Bible says this. And you go, no, the facts are this. The Bible says this. And no, no, it's actually this. And no, the facts are this. And they say, well, well, your mama's ugly. Whoa, bro. What's up? Don't be talking about my mom and you jump across the table. Nobody talks about my mom. And they're not even talking about the Bible anymore. A personal attack, a personal attack. Now, of course, that's a schoolyard attack. And that was very common on the, maybe you didn't experience it, but it was a very common one that I used constantly to get somebody off their game. Praise God I'm born again. We don't do that anymore. We love each other in the agape love of Jesus Christ. But you know, a lot of people, they grew up, but they never left high school. And they still use the same worn out attacks. For Bible people, they make fun of you. Oh, you don't believe in Jonah. And a big whale. And you go, no, actually, I don't believe in Jonah and a big whale. The Bible actually says big fish. Look it up. Oh, you don't believe in Adam and Eve. Actually, I do believe in Adam and Eve. You don't believe in, and they start going through a list. They make, kind of make you feel dumb. They make you want to feel dumb. Well, let, let's just put this, into, put this in perspective. Because the argument actually isn't with you at all. You believe what you believe, and you believe it based upon the authority of Scripture. So here, you know, they attacked Deuteronomy. Oh, Moses didn't write it. Man, it's being quoted in 2 Kings. That, that is, it's being obeyed by the time we get to 2 Kings, just a few generations after David and Solomon. And, and Moses is way back behind 2 Kings. It's just one more, well, the Bible is pretty clear. I don't, you, you're making these things up, these so-called scholars. 
So the argument actually isn't with you, and it's actually not even with the Bible. The essence of that argument, that attack on you for believing what you believe, is an attack upon Jesus Christ himself. Because just consider this. Number one, Jesus believed in Jonah, Nineveh, and the Queen of Sheba, Matthew chapter 12. Jesus believed in Adam, Eve, and a literal six-day or seven-day creation with the day of rest, Matthew chapter 19. He believed in marriage between one man and one woman by that same verse. A lot of times people say, well, Jesus never spoke on marriage, and he never spoke on homosexuality and defining marriage. Yes, he did. He defined marriage as Adam and Eve, one man, one woman. He defined what man brought, what, what God brings together, let not man separate, male and female. Yes, he did speak on such things. And number three, he believed in Cain and Abel, Matthew chapter 23. He believed in Daniel and, a, and verified Daniel as a prophet, Matthew chapter 24. He believed in the prophet Elijah, the same Elijah that we've been studying and all the miraculous, crazy things that God used him to do in order to validate and verify his ministry. Jesus believed in Elijah according to Luke chapter 4 verse 25. Jesus believed and taught in a literal worldwide flood. He believed in Noah. He believed in Noah building the ark according to Luke chapter 17 verse 27. Jesus believed in a literal Sodom and Gomorrah and affirmed Lot and the sins of Lot, according to Luke chapter 17. Jesus believed in Moses, Luke chapter 20. And he actually validates, Jesus does. I don't know if you remember this, but according to Luke chapter 24, Jesus actually validates the veracity and truthfulness of the entire Old Testament. Remember, he was walking down uh, the road to Emmaus with those two guys kicking cans. And what does he do? He starts all the way in the beginning of Genesis and walks them through revealing who? Himself all throughout the Old Testament. It's beautiful. So the argument's not, so you don't have to get all personal. And, and I mean, it's hard when they start attacking you, but now you know they're actually not attacking you. It's, they're, they're really undermining, well, well, do you think Jesus was an idiot? You know, you're an idiot for leaving that. Would you believe Jesus was an idiot? Most people, now, you know, people are getting cruder now, but most people aren't willing to call Jesus an idiot. Most people aren't willing to call him a lunatic. Most people, I mean, maybe today there's a little bit of change in that, but most people uh, are willing to consider, but wait a minute, Jesus taught this, Jesus taught this, Jesus taught this, over and over and over again. I mean, by the time you get this, it's 1, 2, 3, 4, 5, 6, 7, 8, 9, 10, 11, 12, 13, 14, 15. I mean, if 16 isn't enough, I'm sure we can find more. But 16 sounds like that should make the point. And you don't have to sense, well, you know, maybe it is. Maybe it's not true. And maybe modern day science has now undermined what Jesus believed. Now, maybe if Jesus was here today, he'd change his mind. He wouldn't change his mind because Jesus is the same today, yesterday, and forever. Science will not, human discovered science will not change the mind of Jesus Christ. Oh, you know, they can't, there's just not possible for a fish to swallow a man and have him live in there. It's just not possible. It's, it would require a miracle. Exactly. The Bible says with Jonah, and think about this, God loved Jonah so much. And he loved the people of Nineveh, the vicious, nasty, wicked people of Nineveh so much that you read very carefully in Jonah, that God prepared a fish for Jonah. 
And I wonder for those of you running away today, what fish God has prepared for you in the Aurora Reservoir <laughs> as you're out paddleboarding and you're like, oh, what happened to him? Ah, oh, you know, just God prepared a fish for him. <laughs> and we'll all be waiting for you to be vomited up. But it's different containers these days, isn't it? That God allows into our lives to get our attention so that we might do what he's called us to do. You're listening to Abounding Grace with our Bible teacher and pastor, Ed Taylor. We're going through 2 Kings right now. To give this a second listen, all you need to do is visit calvaryaurora.org. Or you can listen through our app, and that can be found searching for Calvary Aurora. Abounding Grace is made possible through the generosity of our listeners. Each gift that comes in serves to help us pay for radio time and production costs. And think of this. You'll be helping thousands all over the world learn about God's amazing grace and how to grow by it. And today, when you give a donation of $25 or more, we'd like to say thanks by sending you a useful resource. It's Why Grace Changes Everything by Chuck Smith. As the title of the book would suggest, God's grace really does change everything in our lives. It's how we're birthed into the family of God and how we grow, too. It makes all the difference as you travel through the ups and downs of life. Call us right now so we can drop this in the mail to you. We're at 877-30-GRACE or go online to calvaryaurora.org. We'll pick up where we left off in 2 Kings tomorrow on Abounding Grace with Pastor Ed Taylor. May God richly bless you with His abounding grace. This is amazing grace. This is unfailing love. That you would take my place. That you would bear my cross. You Abounding Grace is brought to you by Calvary Church, Colorado. 